Hey guys, it's Pastor Marcus Kelly and First Lady Alicia. And man, we just wrapped up an exciting day here at Grace Baptist Church. And we were talking about the sin of complaining. It seems like such a small deal, but man, God's word says something different. Listen, before you check out the video, why don't you go ahead and hit that subscribe button and share this video and help us to get the word out about how good our God is. But now let's get into the message. Come on. All right. You see the sermon title there, the complain game. We're in, in just a few moments. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 11, and then we're going to flip over to Numbers 14 in just a few moments. So go ahead and turn in your Bible there. Let me ask you a question. Survey time. How many of you that know somebody that likes to complain a lot? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right. How many of you are married to that? No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. I'm not looking. I'm not going to look. I don't need that in my life. Okay, listen, so we're going to give you something to complain about this morning before we get out of here, okay? Listen, some people complain about everything, don't they? The weather's not right, music's too loud, service too slow, fast food isn't found. Some, some people act like complaining is their spiritual gift. God has placed me here in this body of believers to let everybody know everything that's wrong with everything, all that we do, Right? And, and so, and right now, maybe you're thinking, Brother Marcus, are you talking about me? Well, if you're thinking that, maybe, okay? It might be for you this morning, but we all do it. And this is a problem that I have personally. This speaks to me because in my life, I've shared with you guys before, some, when I'm around really positive people, like good vibes, you know, like, man, I'm energized by that. It lifts me up, right? And I feel good and I'm positive. But when I'm around those negative people and we complain in and it's negativity and it's gripey gripe and complain, complain. Wait, and one thing it does, it just sucks the life, the energy right out of me. But I find myself doing the exact same thing. Can anybody relate this morning? Right? I just find, I just get right in there. I mean, you think you can complain? Come find me. We'll see who can do it better. Right? I just feed off that and it's terrible and I don't want to do it anymore. We are all guilty of complaining. We're all guilty. A lot of, for some of you, tomorrow morning, you're going to complain about your job. Somebody else is going to be complaining because they don't have a job. Some of you, you're complaining because you've got too much to do. Some of you, you're complaining when you don't have anything to do. Some of you single ladies, you're complaining because you're saying there's no good men out there. Some of these single men are complaining because there's no good women out there. I mean, it never ends. We complain about living here in West Tennessee. We complain about bad drivers and traffic and taxes, the weather, money, potholes, football, and even church. Amen? We complain. And we even complain about people complaining. That's what this sermon is all about. That's what we do. We complain a lot. Yeah, I mean, but... The problem is, it's convincing you that it's the big deal that it is. That it's the big deal that God's Word says that it is. See, if you look into, in, in Scripture, you can see example after example of complaining. Matter of fact, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve, you know the story. When, uh, when Eve sinned and she tempted Adam to sin, and when they got busted and when God found them, and God's basically like, Adam, what's up? And Adam said... It's that woman you gave me. <laughs> he said, it's that one, Lord, you messed up. I'm telling you, you gave me this woman. I didn't have no choice. There's only one of them, right? You gave me this woman, and she tempted me, and I sinned. It's all your fault, God, or hers. You choose, right? That's what he's saying from the very beginning. 
We can, uh, and also in Scripture, we see there's one group of people that's famous for complaining. That when you read through the Old Testament, it seems like it never stops. Look at this next slide. We're talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament. Complain, complain, complain. Now, if you don't know their story, it's really interesting. There were slaves in bondage in Egypt. And God raised up a man named Moses to go and set his people free. They had one prayer, one request, one thought on their mind 24-7. God, help us. Set us free. Get us out of Egypt. So God sent a man to get them out of Egypt. And God miraculously did 10 plagues to change Pharaoh's mind to let those people go. And so God changed his mind. He let the people go. But no sooner were they gone than Pharaoh changed his mind right back again. He's like, what did I do? This All my property. I got to go. I've got to get these people. Right? And so the nation of Israel, they find themselves with a sea on one side, mountains on the other. And, and they're pinned in with an army coming up from behind. So what does God do? God miraculously parts the Red Sea. The Jewish people walk through on dry ground. When the uh, Pharaoh's army goes to follow after them, God shut her down and he just washed them away. And now they're on the other side of the Red Sea and they are free. It's miraculous. It's incredible. And then if you know the story, God even uh, feeds them miraculously. God causes water to come from a rock. Then maybe that don't sound like a big deal. You try it. Right? Their clothes, if you read carefully, their clothes wouldn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. God provided for their every need miraculously. So what did they do? Same thing we do. They complained. They complained, man. And they were really, really good at it. They didn't like the food. They're like, we wish we would have just died back in Egypt as slaves. Right? Look in your notes at Exodus 16, verse 2. It says, then the whole congregation of, Israel, uh, uh, of the children of Israel did what, church? complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died. By Have you, do you know anybody that's extra? I mean, they're dramatic. Like everything is just, Ooh, right? And uh, anybody remember Fred Sanford? I'm coming to join you easy, right? This is their coming to join you wheezy moment right here. Look at it. It said, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. See, they forgot how bad things were. And now here they are. You know, oh, we had plenty to eat. Everything was wonderful when we were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, right? And for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Right? And again, if you just read the whole story, they're all, we're going to die. We should have just died in Egypt. Everything's terrible. We should have stayed slaves. Listen, here's what I want you to understand this morning. If you want to be divisive, if you want to hurt the heart of God, if you want to push people out of your life and away from you, if you want to uh, hurt yourself, just do what everybody else is doing and complain. Just keep complaining. And then make an excuse for it and say, everybody does it. Everybody complains. It's normal. Or if you want to have a life that really honors God in some significant way, my advice for you this morning, look at this next slide. Quit complaining. Quit complaining. It's really that simple. Now, we're going to unpack for you why it's actually dangerous for a believer to uh, have a critical spirit and a complaining heart. And we're going to do it by looking at the Israelites here in the Old Testament in the story with Moses. But as we get started, take some notes this morning. Write this down. Number one, I want you to understand complaining displeases God. Complaining 
that you're like, you're like, doesn't God have bigger things on his plate, right? You are his children. I want you to think about this. If you're a child of God, when you complain, it displeases his heart. How many of you have got kids? And if you're a good parent, let me tell you what you want for your children. You want your children to have a better life than you did. Amen? And so, and when you want your child, have you've done provided all this for them? You take care of them. You've nurtured them. You've raised them. You've provided for them. You've done all of this. And how do they repay you? By complaining. How dare they? Complaining. I feed you and clothe you, right? <laughs> Everything that I do for you, and then you're going to walk in this room. I'm bored. <laughs> There's nothing to do. And you're like, go play with rocks like I did when I was a kid. I got nothing. There's nothing to eat. <laughs> right? Honestly, you don't raise your hands. Have you ever felt like your children were ungrateful? How did that make you feel? The sacrifices that you know that you've made, right? How do you think it makes God feel when his children complain, right? And he knows the sacrifices that he's made for you. Look in your Bible at Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now when the people complained, complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire, listen to this. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. That's how serious it was. They're complaining. Right? He burned the outskirts. So if you go home this afternoon and your grass is burned up, God is sending you a, a sign that you need to stop complaining, okay? They made God so angry. God was so offended by what? They're complaining that he did this. The principle is clear, though. Complaining offends the heart of God. It clearly does. One time, even Moses was complaining. He was whining to God, and Moses was saying, God, these people won't stop complaining, right? God, they won't stop complaining. And God says, Moses, they're not complaining. They're complaining to you, but they're complaining about me. They're complaining to you. It's not really about you, Moses. It's really about their heart condition with me. God takes our complaints personal. Personal. It displeases the heart of God. Number two, write this down. Complaining has ramifications. I mean, there's, con there's serious consequences. I mean, let's just not even be spiritual for a moment. Let's just be practical. If you want to drive people away, just complain all the time. Be a critical person. Have a critical spirit about you. Just complain all the time. A constant, a, a constant complainer is like someone with bad breath. Hi. Hallelujah. How are you? Right? And what are you going to do? Hallelujah, brother. How are you? Right? You're going to socially distance from their face. Amen? You're going to get away from them. You're going to back up. You're going to get away from them as soon as possible. They've got that holy halitosis, amen? And you're just going to get away from them. When somebody has a critical spirit and a complaining mouth, people do the same thing. You may not know it. They may enjoy that complaining and griping for a moment, but you don't have any real intimacy when you do that. They're going to get away from you as soon as they can. It drives people away. But I want you to see from Scripture that complaining has consequences. Look at Flip over in your Bible to chapter 14. We're in chapter 11. Move over to chapter 14, and I'm going to look at verse 27. Numbers 14 and verse 27. God says, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Why are they evil? Because they complain. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. That's bad news. 
Go down to verse 29. He says, the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. God says, the one thing that you want, that's what you're not getting. The thing that matters the most to you, no. No, I'm not going to bless you with what, because of your complaining. Then this is a principle that you find in scripture. It's a biblical principle. Because of your complaining, I'm not going to bless you how I wanted to bless you. Because of your complaining, I'm not going to give you what I wanted. Again, think about your children. You, you play this out. Now imagine today you've got a surprise for them kiddos. After, after church, we're going to go get some ice cream, okay? Ice cream. Right? The kids don't know anything about it, but they woke up griping and complaining and fussing and they wouldn't get ready for church, right? And now you got you a drug baby. You had to drag that baby to church and you brought them here and they won't be quiet and they won't sit still and they've been fussing and arguing and griping and complaining the whole service and they just wonder and they're about to drive you out of your mind. Now, what aren't you going to do? You're not going to leave here and go buy them ice cream and reward that bad behavior, are you? Not if you're a good parent, you won't. Some of you will. That's why we got some of these problems we got now. But a, a loving parent is not going to reward bad behavior. And the same way with our good God. Just the principle here is that with our complaining, there's some things that he wants to do in our life. He's not going to do it because of our complaining. Because of that. Look at this next slide. Constant complaining costs, man. And it costs significantly. And not only uh, spiritually, but practically speaking. If you want to complain, you can find things to complain about all day long. It's easy. It's so, like, anything, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life. Coming into church, you can come to church, and within 30 seconds, you can find things to complain about. Some of you already have. How do I know that? Because we're people. And it just seems to be that complaining is in our DNA. You can, if you're looking for something to complain about, you will find it. If you want to have a bitter, critical, negative uh, viewpoint in life, if you want to be miserable, make everybody else miserable in your life, you can do it. And one of the reasons, look at this next slide, it's this thing called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. What it means is you've already made your mind up about something, right? You, you believe this. So now everything that you see, whatever evidence or whatever you see around you in life, no matter how different it is from what you've already confirmed, right? You make all evidence support what you claim. Let, let me imagine a girl, she gets treated bad by a guy. She's got a boyfriend, whatever, and he cheats and does her bad, breaks her heart, whatever he does. So when they break up, she decides all men are pigs. Can I get an amen, ladies? And some of y'all like that too much. All men are pigs, right? All men are, she just decides all men are bad, period. And so what is she going to do? Now she's made up her mind. Now, whenever she sees anything, it just confirms what she already believes. So when she meets a guy, no matter how good that guy is, eventually he's not perfect. He's going to do something wrong, say something wrong, right? Act a certain way or something. And she's going to go, aha, I knew it. He's a pig like the rest of them, right? She's only going to see evidence that supports what she already believes. Does that make sense? Right? All men are bad so that she can only see the bad in all men. Same thing with church. Some of you, maybe you've been hurt in church, hurt in life. Somebody, maybe somebody in a, some kind of position has hurt you or, or something's gone wrong in your life. And so whenever you come to church, you come to church with a, uh, with a confirmation bias. What, what, what are some things that people criticize church for? Money. is a, That's an easy one. Money. 
right? And I had somebody, <laughs> whenever we talk about money, a preacher, all he ever talks about is money. No, that's not all I ever talk about. That's all you ever think about. Why? Because of your confirmation bias. What happens is this, you come into church service like this, we're not going to talk about money at all today. And so we, we, we've worshiped, we're preaching, we're not talking about money, and you're sitting there thinking, all church, all they want is my money. That's all anybody, they care about is my money, right? And then at the end of the service, when we give you an opportunity to worship through giving, when we take up an offering at the end of the service, you go, ah I knew it! That's all they want is our money. Confirmation bias. And some of you are living with a critical, negative, complaining heart and a complaining spirit because something has happened along the way and you've allowed that sinful part of your nature be the overwhelming factor in your life and you can't see the good in anything or anybody. And everything that ever happens only confirms for you what you already believe, that it's going to be bad. If you want to complain, you can find things to complain about all the time. And what does that mean? Look at this next slide. The more that we complain, the more that it's indicating that we're self-entitled, right? Self-entitled. And that, by the way, that's not good. In case you're wondering if we're like, you know, you know, he's a nice guy, you know, he's good looking, good work ethic. And you know, he's self-entitled. That's not a compliment. And I don't want to talk about this long, but sociologists are talking about now, one of the reasons why uh, uh, the younger generations are more self-entitled than ever before, they believe it's because the family units are smaller than they have ever been before. You know, like your parents, they might have had four, five, six, seven brothers, sisters, or whatever it was. Your grandparents had 20, amen? And so, uh, but you notice the family units getting smaller, people having one child or two or maybe three and four if they're just crazy, Right? And so, the, I'm kidding. And so the size of the family's gotten smaller. Now, as that's happened, because you want what's best for your children and you love your children and you're a good parent and as you're pouring your love and affection into this child because there's fewer children that spread that around, somehow, way, children subconsciously are picking up the idea that they are the center of the universe. That if they want something, they should have it right? That how they feel is all that matters. What they want is all that matters. So when you have children who grow up self-entitled, they become adults who are self-entitled. And as soon as things don't go the way they want them to go, they have this sense of uh, self-entitlement and they're upset, they're critical, and they complain. Why? Because they were raised that way to believe that they are the center of everything. But it's not true. Look at this next slide. God is the center of the story. God is the main character in our story, not us. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. God isn't on his throne this morning, wringing his hands like, oh no, Marcus woke up in a bad mood today. Oh, I hope Marcus isn't upset with me, right? Marcus is complaining. I better change the weather because Marcus doesn't like it. That's not happening, right? I'm not the center of my story. I'm not the hero of my story. Jesus is the center of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. He is king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You ain't. We exist to glorify him. When you complain, what you're indicating is, I'm the main character. I'm the hero of this story. And things should be how I want them to be. You're really complaining against God. What do we do, though, when we're in a culture that not only... It's normal to complain, to have a complaining spirit, but it's expected. It's normal, it's expected. We even celebrate it. Turn on the news. I mean, some of you, your whole, like, 
Drug addicts and alcoholics, you can completely relate to this. When you were on drugs, you had a certain circle of friends. When you kicked those drugs, you didn't have those friends anymore, did you? They don't come around. Right? When you used to drink and party and do all that stuff, you had a clique. You had a crew that you ran with. As soon as you put that stuff away, your friends stopped coming around, didn't they? Right? And so it's also true about your complaining. You've probably got some relationships that are almost solely based on the fact that you're just complaining to each other. And if you were to stop the complaining, the friendship would stop too. We've got these complaining clusters of friendships where the only things we have in common is what we don't like. It's unhealthy, and God doesn't like it. We bond with our complaints. So how do we go about constraining or complaining? Let me give you just a few verses, and we'll walk through it. Look in your notes, Philippians 2.14. The Word of God says, do all things. Without, in case you thought I was making this up this morning, do all things without complaining and disputing. As a matter of fact, say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Do all things without complaining and disputing. What does that mean? It means what it says. It means what it says. Matter of fact, just write this down. Don't complain. That's God's will for your life this morning. Don't complain. Don't do everything without complaining or arguing. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Like, matter of fact, I challenge you this week. Now, I've, <laughs> I had to cut back on my complaining this week because my family knew that I was preaching on complaining. Amen? So I've got a week, I'm a week ahead of you. Because this is a problem in my life. I mean, I'm being serious. We don't even know how to small talk without complaining. Hey, man, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. Man, it's hot, ain't it? I mean, we don't, even, we, we don't even know how to small talk without complaining. So I, this week, why don't you just decide, no corrupt words coming out of my mouth. I'm not going to complain at all this week. A couple things you're going to discover is, one thing is, you've got a lot less to talk about than you thought you did. Amen? It's a lot less, but just don't do it. I mean, just stop and allow yourself to talk less. I mean, in your family, maybe instead of writing your kids back, maybe you look for positive things instead of always focusing on the negative, right? When you're pulling out of the parking lot this morning, and you know, you know how West Tennessee drivers are, and so when you go to pull out of the parking lot this morning and some Yahoo cuts you off, instead of complaining, just praise God that you're part of a growing, dynamic church that sometimes we almost kill each other in the parking lot. Amen? Thank God for that. What Whatever it is, instead of complaining about your job tomorrow, maybe just tomorrow. And I, I know your job, maybe it stinks. I've had those jobs before, right? But instead of complaining, just say, thank you for this job. Look at this next slide. Let what comes out of your mouth be helpful for building others up rather than tearing down. It's never made any, complaining's never made anything better. So, all right, so what do we need to do? <laughs> Not complain. Why? Write this down. To be more like Jesus. And if you're a believer, that should be the goal of your life, to be more like Jesus. Less like Marcus, more like Jesus. That should be the goal. That's the answer. If you're a believer, this should be important. Philippians 2.14, let's read that verse again. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? That you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're talking about complaining. We're talking about needless griping. I want to tell you, if you're going to be a light in the world in 2020, there are some things you're going to have to be against. We're not talking about being a pushover, being a runover, and not standing for truth and for the gospel and things like that. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about complaining, and you know the difference. 
Think of all the things God could have said in that verse. Instead of saying, do all things without complaining, he could have said, do all things without lying. Do all things without cussing. Do all things without cheating. Do all things without stealing. Do all things without looking at a woman with lust in your heart. Right? So that you may become pure, blameless children of God. But he didn't. What did he say? Do all things without complaining. That's what he said. Again, why? So that you can be more like Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in Luke 6, 45. He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So why does it matter? Why does it matter if you talk a lot and you complain a lot and you've got this bitter, critical vocabulary? It matters because it indicates that what your heart really is. You got a foul mouth because you got a foul heart. You got a critical spirit. You, you use critical language because you have a critical heart. You have a complaining mouth because you have a complaining heart. So what do we do? So no complaining. Stop complaining. Don't complain. Why? So I can be more like Jesus. How do you do that? Write this down. I need to align my heart with the heart of God. I have to align my priorities, my heart, with the heart of God, with God's heart, right? So what? I do not complain so I can be like Jesus. I do that by aligning my... I care about what God cares about. I believe what God says. I trust what God says. I want my life to be God-honoring. I align my heart with God's heart. And so what does that mean that I'm going to do? Write this down. I have to choose to rejoice. It's a choice, man. When you came in here this morning, you could choose to worship or not. You could choose to rejoice or not. Or you can find something to complain about and then you can take that. You can leave here and complain or you can leave here and rejoice. You can go to work tomorrow morning and rejoice or you can go to work tomorrow morning and complain. It's a choice. You can choose to rejoice. And think about Paul. The apostle Paul wrote these words. When he wrote it uh, uh, to the Philippians, he, he was literally in chains. He was a prisoner. A prisoner. Right? And he... And, 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 while he is a prisoner for being a Christian, he is saying, hey, don't complain, right? You can rejoice always. Philippians 2 verse 17, here's what Paul said. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. Paul is thinking, he knows he's going to die. He's thinking, I'm probably going to die any day. They're going to execute me. They're going to kill me any day. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Even if I die for this, Paul is saying, I'm going to rejoice. Even if they take my life, I'm going to rejoice. No matter what they do to me for following Jesus, I don't have any regrets. See, I would be complaining. Let's be honest. You're locked up right now. Wouldn't you be complaining? I'd be like, I don't like it here. The food's no good. I want to go home. I want to see Alicia baby, Amber baby, Marcus baby. I don't want to be here anymore. Right? I'm falsely accused. I don't deserve this. I want to be out of here. Right? Uh, that's what I would be saying, but Paul was saying, look at uh, uh, the last part of verse 17. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. How can he say that? How can he say that when he believes with all of his heart he's about to forfeit his life in any moment? Because he's the guy that wrote this in Galatians 2.20. He said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul understood that he was not the center of the story. It wasn't all about Paul. Paul understood that he wasn't the hero of the story, that Jesus is the hero of the story, right? Jesus was, look at this next slide. His heart was aligned to the heart of Christ and he chose to rejoice. And the good news this morning is you can do the same thing. You can align your heart with the heart of Christ and you can choose to rejoice. I could almost hear Paul saying, man, if you knew where I've been, if you know what I've done, 
listen, if you know the things that I've been forgiven of, you would rejoice too, right? You would do the same thing. When the supreme creator of the universe has forgiven me of so much, and he's the center of the story. I'm not the center of the story. I'm his servant. He doesn't exist to serve me, and I can do it with joy in my heart. I think Paul would ask us, and I'm asking you this morning, look at this next slide. How much good has your complaining done? I didn't like writing that. Think about all the things you've complained about over the years. How much good has your complaining done? Has your complaining ever really fixed anything? How much good has your complaining done? How much? How many people have we made miserable with our complaining? How difficult are we to be around when we're complaining? How much good has your complaining has your complaining ever done any good at all? And what if, look at this next slide. What if you started thanking God for what he does instead of complaining about what you think he hasn't done? How big of a difference would it make in your life? How big of a difference would it make in the life of your family? Rather than complaining and giving in to a bitter, critical spirit. How big of a difference, how much joy would it bring your home if just you chose to start thanking God for what he's doing instead of complaining about what you think that he's not doing. That would make a difference. You align your heart with Christ and you're going to realize that complaining comes with a cost, that it offends the heart of God and it's pushing the people you care about the most out of your life. But you can overcome it. You have a choice. And this morning you can choose, man. You can choose to rejoice. Two, two options. You can choose to rejoice or you can choose to continue to complain. But you have a choice. What are you going to choose? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, forgive us for neglecting uh, to live the kind of life that you've called us to live. Lord, I pray by your spirit and by your word that you would do a work in our hearts and our lives. And God, that we will be different this morning because we've spent time with you. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed, just a moment, no looking around. Please be respectful of those around you. Those of you this morning that you know that you're saved, you know that you're forgiven, you're a child of God, right? You know that you are saved. What's our application prayer this morning? What's our application here? Maybe you in your life, your prayer is simply this. God, I want to align my heart with yours. And God, I want to choose to rejoice. God, I want to align my heart with yours, and I choose to rejoice. Christians, how many of you, that's your prayer? Slide your hands up real quick. All over, all over, all over. How could we not desire that for our lives? Father God, I thank you that you're working in the hearts of your children. God, and I pray that today, that the Holy Spirit would just drive your word into our heart. And God, we would see this complaining, overriding, critical spirit as the great sin that it is. God, and I ask you to forgive me. Lord, forgive us for when we complain. Lord, help us to align our hearts with you. God, instead of finding things to pick apart in others, that you, we'll see all the good things that you've done in our life and in the life of others. 
God, that we would just be completely overwhelmed with your presence, with your goodness, your love, and your grace. God, that we would live surrendered to you, choosing to rejoice. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. There's some of you this morning, you don't know Jesus. You don't know that you're saved, man. You really don't. You have serious doubts. Or maybe even right now, you know in your heart, you're not saved. You're not forgiven. You have no doubt. And God is calling you. You know, a sign that you may not be forgiven is the fact that you have a critical, complaining spirit. If you're a complainer, it could be outward evidence of a real inward spiritual problem. Look up for just a second. See, often we fail to recognize the good things that God has done for us and that he's doing in us and he desires to do in us. Our good God was so good and so loving that he sent his perfect son, Jesus, and he lived a perfect sinless life. And he went to the cross at Calvary to take your punishment for your sin and my punishment for my sin. He took the sin of the world upon himself at the, on the cross because somebody had to pay, didn't they? For all the lies and the thieving and the adultery and the lust and the blasphemy and the murder. Somebody had to pay. Jesus took it upon himself and paid the price for all of us that we can never pay on our own. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That anyone who trusts him, and it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've seen, what you've done. It doesn't matter how much you've complained. And it's amazing to me that the only one that should complain, the only one who could complain, chose not to, even with all the dirt that you've done. Look at this in Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. He didn't, he didn't condemn us like he could have. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you were at the worst you've ever been, when you were doing the dirtiest deed that you've ever done, when you're at your peak evil, the worst you've ever been, Christ died for you. He loves you even then enough to go to Calvary and pay the price for your sins. Now, so what's the answer? You can continue to live and say no to Jesus and continue to complain about your life and the world and circumstances or you could trust the one who died for you and paid the price for your sins so that you could be forgiven have a new spirit a new heart resurrection power in your life eternally forgiven of all your sins he's done everything necessary for you to be saved there's nothing left for you to complain about he's the answer Have you trusted Christ? Have you trusted Jesus? Does your heart, does your life reflect that? Do you know him? Let's pray one more time. Bow your head and close your eyes one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a second. There's some of you here this morning, you recognize that you don't know Jesus, man. You haven't been saved. You haven't been forgiven. And maybe even somewhere in your heart, you've had a grudge against God. Maybe things haven't been the way you wanted them to be and you feel like God has overlooked you or forgotten about you. He hasn't. And the proof is he's got you here right now telling you that he loves you. And he wants to save you. And if you're here right now, you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you. I will not single you out. I will not embarrass you, man. That's not what we do. But I just want the privilege of praying with you. And if right now, in this moment, you desire to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know he's got you here for this moment. Would you just slip your hand up for a second so I can pray with you? God bless you. I see you. Who else? God bless you. God bless you. Man, you can put your hand down. Who else? 
God bless you. Listen, right now, right where you're at, it's not a, there's no trick, there's no password, there's no magic formula. It's simply humbling yourself before your good God and surrendering yourself to him. Why don't you pray a prayer like this and simply say, Father God, tell him, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned, but God, I turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. Tell him, say, save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith, not in me, in you. Your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, your word says if I call on you, you'll save me. I'm calling now by faith. Save me, Jesus. I just want to promise you according to the word of God, if you pray a prayer like that, you're sincere and honest with God, you humble yourself before God, he just saved you, he just redeemed you, he's given you a new spirit and a new heart. I want to encourage you to make that decision public. Like Hala did this morning. We've got a, uh, another baptism in the third service. You need to follow through in believer's baptism. It's important. It doesn't save you, but it's your first step of obedience. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize you've prayed that prayer some other time, but you've never gone public with your faith. Why don't you come this morning and follow through in believer's baptism? We'll pray with you, schedule that time for you, rejoice with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that your baptism and salvation are out of whack. We get saved and then we get baptized. That's the order. Do you need to get that straight this morning? Get the order right? Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that Grace Baptist Church is your grace home. That this is your church family. And God's called you right here to Grace Baptist Church to be a part of the Grace family. It's time to come. Put on a jersey. Be a part of the team. Why don't you do that this morning? If God's calling, you say yes. Or maybe there's something else that God is calling you to deal with. Maybe there's some issue you need to come lay down. Maybe there's some complaint you need to let go of. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you, do business with God. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You stand. You, you come.